Isaiah 40, 26 through 31, it says this. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name because his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say in Israel, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by God? Let, let us pause there for a minute. How many of you have ever been in that position before where you felt like your claim was ignored by God? Tonight, I want you guys to, to just kind of posture yourself with me because we're going to lean into this message. There's going to be a lot of moments, I think, tonight where we're going to have to reconcile some stuff that we may not be used to reconciling. And that is, at times, we're frustrated by God. Can we do that tonight? Can, can we agree not to like be those type of people that say, oh, I'm never frustrated by God. Can we just like stop that and be like, no, actually, he makes me mad sometimes. <laughs> Okay, we're, I just want us to be there because by the time we get to the backside of this message, we'll understand why we have to, to be there. My way is hidden from the Lord. It's right here in the Bible. And my claim is ignored by God. Do you not know though? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. Come on somebody, that's good news right there. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not be faint. Tonight, as we continue on in our series, Hope, I want to speak to you from the subject, backwards up the slide. Backwards up the slide. As we look at the stages of hopelessness, and how to deal with them. Will you pray with me just one more time tonight? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active and it's powerful. I thank you for this amazing service tonight. I thank you for everybody who is sitting in this room this evening. God, there's a million and one other places that we could be, but we chose to be here in your house tonight. So we ask that you would speak to us, that you would teach us in these moments. We need to hear your words. No one needs my words, God. We all need your words. So I pray that you would use me to speak your words clearly tonight with precision. Father, as these words land on our hearts and our minds, may they change us from the inside out. May we be different than how we came in. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, at 5 p.m., shouted. Amen. Amen. Um, I, don't, I don't typically like going to the park with my kids. Um, I like my kids. I just don't like going to the park. Because the park is like a lesson in the Lord of the Flies. And... <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? It, it's a dangerous place, place to be, especially as a parent. And, and there's some kids out there, like, like whew, there's some kids out there. <laughs> so this particular, after, and there's some of your kids. And so <laughs> this particular afternoon, I was there with my kids, and this was before Elle was born, and so I had just, just my son and my daughter, Shiloh and Justice, and they're running around, and, and I was being a good dad, and I was paying attention to them, and then something caught my eye. And uh, as it caught my eye, I realized I can no longer pay attention to my children. I have to watch what's happening here. Because what was happening here was just a, a stunning exposition in child behavior. <laughs> and that's these are, the way these are the ways that I think on, on a playground. And so what ensued in this moment was one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. And so this kid, I don't know how old he was. And he was, you know, he was a kid, a curious kid. He was probably a lot like me uh, when I was a kid. But... He had decided, have you ever watched a kid make a decision? He didn't verbalize the decision, but like you watch the light bulb go off in that kid's head and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> That's what happened. 
And so I watched this kid make a decision by looking at this slide. It was one of those metal slides, you know, the ones that go like this, and there's different portions that are covered. And, and he made the decision, I'm not going to come down the slide. I am not going to be the type of kid that comes down the slide. I'm going to be the kid that goes up the slide. And I was like, fair enough. I would have done the same thing. And so the light bulb came on, click, ding, I'm going up the slide. And so he decided to start walking up the slide. And so he got on the slide and he puts Spider-Man hands and legs out and he starts doing like the, and you're watching him. Like he was just waddling his way up the slide. And all of a sudden this kid comes flying down the top of the slide, boom, whacks him, takes him out. He goes down on the ground into the bark and I lost it. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, I was laughing at children in this moment, because this is the best thing I've ever seen. And so you could tell this kid was frustrated by it, because like there was, like, there was dogged determination in him to get up the slide. So he picks himself up and gets all the stuff off of him, brushes off of his knees, and I'm like, there you go. You go get him. Right? And so he hops back up on the slide, takes position, and Starts going up the slide, only to be met by this another young child coming down the slide, takes him out. Again, he falls to the ground. And this time, the kid that took him out, this was the best one because the kid, like, he was like this. The kid came flying down, knocked his legs out from underneath him. And the kid that was trying to climb just, like, laid on top of him. And they both slid out, landed on the ground. And the kid who was trying to go up the slide was like to the other kid, what are you doing? And everything inside of me was just like, this is the best life ever. And so I continued to watch. You would think that the child would end his determination right there. Uh Uh-uh. No, he didn't. So once again, he brushed off his knees. This is a long story, guys, but I'm going somewhere. (laughs) Just (laughs) humor me. (laughs) So he brushes off his knees and takes the position again, Spider-Man position. And this time he looks around. Now, how many of you would agree with me that children are like ninjas? They come out of anywhere and everywhere. Like our kids will come in our room, and we didn't know they were there, and they're just leaning over our faces. Let me, let me correct that. They're leaning over Erica's face because <laughs> they know better. <laughs> Mom. Mom. <laughs> so this kid who's trying to climb side, he looks around to make sure there's no other children. No other children are coming, and he's like, oh, sweet, safe. So he starts, he takes his position, he starts shimmying it up, shimmying it up. And he gets to this place where you watch his body buckles because he couldn't hold it anymore because the slide got steeper. And so his arms and legs caved in, boom, and he went straight down onto the slide, chest, chin, blah, and you just hear this, blah, blah. And then this kid goes, wow. <laughs> and he hits the ground, and now... That moment that he hit the ground, that was one of those moments that as a parent, I had a split-second decision to make. Do I laugh or do I help? (laughs) Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Right? And this is like, for those of you who are not parents, this is the type of decision-making that goes through your head. If there's tears, I help. If there's no tears, I laugh. So I waited. No tears? (laughs) I lost it. It was awesome. So great. But the story you think should end there, but it doesn't end there. No. (laughs) Some of you are like, please, end the story here. Kid stands up, and he puts his head down, and he starts to walk away from the slide. I mean, the, the most disappointed and dejected I've ever seen a child before in my life. He was defeated by this slide. And I couldn't take my eyes off of him. So he's just walking, and he's just like got his hands in his pocket, and that there might have been a tear. I don't know. 
Sarah McLaughlin was singing in the background. <laughs> so, so he's, he's walking. And like, I'm starting to laugh on the inside. So there's this apparatus to his left as he's walking. It's a spinning apparatus on the playground. Kids usually stand in it, and vindictive parents spin it as hard as they possibly can. <laughs> but these kids were standing on the outside, and this kid was spinning it. And so as the thing starts to spin, these children who are on the outside, they start to levitate off the side of it. And this apparatus becomes a ninja star of children. And this kid who had just been taken out by the slide, as if it couldn't get any worse, as he's walking by, right when he looks up, feet, just take him out. And I was like, see, Lord of the Flies, shouldn't have come to the playground. And it was in that moment I felt God just speak to my heart. <laughs> You've been here too. And I was like, really? Uh-uh, I've never tried to climb a slide backwards. No, 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 you've been here too. Hopeless. Hopeless. It was in that moment that this kid on the playground had a crash course lesson in hopelessness. See, the, the thing about it is, is that our lives, our playgrounds just look different. They're not metal slides and spinning apparatus with children connected to it. <laughs> there are jobs, there are relationships. They're the things that we're navigating in life, the things that we're going through. And if we're honest, if we're brutally honest tonight, there are so many moments that we are wandering the playground of life feeling the same exact way that that kid did trying to make it up the slide. I just want to do what I set out to do. I just want to make happen what I set out to make happen. And it seems like every time we try, we slip and fall. Every time we try, somebody comes peeling down, looking like they're enjoying the best life ever just to knock us out of the way. And when it couldn't all go any worse, we walk by somebody and blap, we're hit with another thing. You ever been there before? Hopeless. Hopeless. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to deal with this issue of hopelessness because we can't deal with hope if we don't know the other side of it because if we're honest, many of us have come in here tonight feeling hopeless. Hopeless in situations, hopeless in our circumstances, hopeless in our relationships, hopeless in our finances, hopeless in our health, hopeless in all these different places. But what if God brought you here tonight so that we could leave here hopeful, not hopeless? But here's the thing about hopelessness that I've come to realize, is that hopelessness, you don't just wake up one day and feel hopeless. It would make it easier if that's the way that it worked. It'd make it easier if it was like, oh, it's Tuesday, I'm hopeless. <laughs> but that's not how it works. I've come to realize that hopelessness is a staging process where the lines blur together. We move really quickly from these different stages and one day we arrive at this place where we look up, we pick our head up, we go, I feel hopeless. So what I want to do is I want to work through some ideas, I want to work through some thoughts, I want to work through some stages that bring us to hopelessness and then we're going to, then we're going to reverse it and we're going to look at how we manage these stages, how we make some significant choices in the midst of these stages in order to work through them appropriately. Can we do that tonight? All right, so I need your help. First thing is this. First thing, the first stage of hopelessness is delay. Delay. Let me define delay for us. A timing different than our expectations of arrival. Come on, show hands if you've ever felt delayed before. 
If you've ever been delayed, and I'm not talking about driving, delay, you've been experiencing delay in life. You know that thing where you feel like there is a promise over your life, or there's a place that you're trying to get to, or a, a preferred outcome, or preferred destination, and it's just not happening. You feel like this, right? You feel like you're just waddling through life trying to get to there, and there is never coming. There's significant amounts of delay. And delay is the first stage in hopelessness. See, delay is, it's about the timing of a thing. And let's be honest, it seems like our timing versus God's timing seem to be very different in nature and it's super frustrating. Can Can we be honest about that tonight? How many of you ever realized like I have that his timing and my timing, they are not the same timing many times. Parents, we know this. How many of you know that kids timing and adult timing are two different timings, (laughs) right? And what I've come to realize is that we interact, we engage with God much like my children engage with me. I want my time right now, time, 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 my time, right? And God's like, no, 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 but I have my time. Remember, I invented it. Psalm 69, 16 through 17, if we can't admit it, watch what the Bible says. Answer me, Lord, for your faithful love is good. In keeping with your abundant compassion, turn to me. Don't hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Exclamation point. How many of you ever felt that way before? Delay. I hate delay. I hate traffic. Right? Anybody freak out over traffic? Like, I know there's some of you in the room. I'm going to give you, like, I'm going to give you props. There's some of you in the room right now who you are totally cool with traffic. You'd be like, traffic? More music. <laughs> traffic? Put on the audible, right? You're like, I love traffic. Traffic, traffic, traffic. Give me traffic. I'm good. And then there's the rest of us in the room who want to take you out <laughs> any way possible. Why? Because we hate delay. And I'm a fast-paced person. I, I don't like it. I'm the guy in our house when, we're, when we still have 45 minutes before we need to get somewhere, I'm chasing everybody around. Come on, hurry up. Let's go. We can't be late. We can't be late. And Erica's like, we have 45 minutes left. And I was like, yes, but I know how long it takes our children to walk from living room to car. <laughs> I'm preparing for delay. <laughs> See, the first stage in hopelessness is delay. And it quickly fades into the next one. The second stage is disappointment. After a long enough amount of delay, after experiencing delay long enough, we quickly move from delay to being disappointed. Come on, show of hands, like therapeutic moment. How many of us have ever experienced disappointment? We all have. I've been disappointed so many times because of delay. And there's so much anticipation in the first little while, right? But then it quickly moves into disappointment as you start to feel Delay. This is what disappointment is. This is my definition. Feeling of let down due to timing not meeting my what? Expectations. We all have them, don't we? We all have expectations. And the funny thing is, is that we, we move into our relationship with God with what? Expectations. We expect God to operate certain ways, to be a certain way, to do things a certain way. And we get frustrated when our expectations are not met. So here's what I tell people. Don't have expectations. (laughs) Some people are like, wow, that's that's not very deep. (laughs) No, but it works. 
Here's why. Because God does things so different than we do things. And God hardly ever moves according to our expectations. He moves according to his purposes. And there's a huge difference. Why? Because our expectations are built off of our preference. God's purpose is built off of design. Two different realities. Don't have, I, I love, this is why I love counseling pre-married couples. They just got engaged. A ring got put on it. Right? <laughs> and, and they're floating. Have you seen these couples before? You can tell who they are. They float everywhere they go. They're just like floating and like, oh, he's so great. <laughs> Have you ever met, like, met these guys? He's so great. He can't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. And he's like, I'm just so glad she said yes. Because <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do, right? And so I get him in the office and I'm like, I can't wait to pop this bubble of rosy land that you're living in. <laughs> Like, I can't wait for that. It's so much fun, <laughs> right? And these are the couples. You get them into your office, and they sit down, and they're like, we're just so, we're so in love, and, and we never fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, don't worry. I'll get you fighting. <laughs> we're going to work on that one really quick, really fast. And so as we work through this, this pre-marriage stuff, one of, the, one of the first things that I say to these young couples is don't come into marriage. The first rule of marriage First rule of marriage, no expectations. Second rule of marriage, no expectations. Third rule of marriage, don't talk about not having expectations. This is Fight Club. <laughs> Why? Because expectations is the breeding ground for disappointment. And that's hard for us to reconcile because we're like, well, without expectations, who knows what we're going to get? No, 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 we're not, we're not talking about those. We're not talking about having an idea of how we want things to go. We're talking about those expectations that everything we are is hanging upon. You hang your soul on it, you hang your heart on it, you hang your faith on it, you hang all of you on this expectation only to be let down and disappointed. And that's the second stage of, of hopelessness. It's to experience this disappointment because at the end of the day, we're banking everything on it. I wonder if you've ever been disappointed before. I wonder if you've ever moved from delay, not getting what, not things going the way that you wanted them to, to quickly shifting to, to disappointment. And then there's the third stage. The third stage, we move from delay and disappointment. The third one is this, division. Die vision. This is how I, I define it. The taking of control in order to do things my way to mitigate both further delay and further disappointment. You ever done that before? Come on, can we be honest? Like, I've done that a lot. Where I'm like, God, do it in my way. Right? Like, I sang the song and I prayed the prayer, Jesus, take the wheel. But I'm taking the wheel back because you're a horrible driver. <laughs> we have to converse this way because I think so many times in church services like this, we can come to this place where we're like, oh, no, I would never say that. Yes, you would. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. <laughs> right? We pray the prayer. It's like, okay, God, I'm going to let you take the wheel. That Sunday message, oh, that had me hype. So, Jesus, you got the wheel. And like 15 minutes later, you're like, well, I'm going to sit close. Actually, Jesus, I'm going to put one hand on the wheel. 
Actually, just get out of the driver's seat. I'm taking the wheel back again. <laughs> Division. In other words, we move from delay and disappointment into this place where we want to then go with our vision rather than submit to God's vision. And how I did that, you will never know. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Some of you new guys are like, I'm coming back to this church. <laughs> Division, going in a separate, <laughs> separate, come on, reel it back in, reel it back in. Going in a separate way than, than, than God's way. Genesis chapter 16, 1 through 4 gives us an interesting perspective on this. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps, perhaps, not like this is for perhaps, through her I can build a family. Now let's just pause there for for a second, throw a hashtag in there. Hashtag Jerry Springer. Because this is not normal behavior at all. Okay? This is not normal. And what's going on? Sarai is frustrated at God because God made a promise, and now the promise has been delayed, and because it was delayed, all of a sudden she decides, man, because of this delay, she's now disappointed, and because of her disappointment, she now says, I'm going to take things into my control. And how many of you realize, if you're like me, many times when we take control, it gets stupid fast. <laughs> Have you ever realized that when we take control, we many times make the worst decisions ever? And then what happens, we have consequences to the worst decisions ever. And then we're disappointed again because the consequences of the original decision caused delay. Further delay causes further disappointment. Further disappointment causes us to once again divide and do it my way again. And then there's this downward cycle where one day we look up and we go, how did I get here? Hopeless. It's this crazy cycle. And that's what they, that's what they did. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. I'm like, Abram, what are you thinking? So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And here's the deal. I've said this before, and it, 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 it bears reminding. When we take control of God's plan, we will always prostitute the promise. Think about that. There was a promise that God had given Abram. You're going to have a kid. I'm going to bless you in this way. He's like, I'm old. She's old. That doesn't work. And God's like, no, 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 I'm going to bless you. And they got frustrated because they're spinning circles and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're delayed. And now their disappointment in their delay. And now the disappointment chooses, uh, goes to decision making. That wasn't the best decision making. What happened? Abram and Sarai prostituted the promise to Hagar. And it started a feud that they would never get back from. I wonder where we're at today. I wonder 
where we may have chosen division in order to reconcile what we were frustrated with with God. So that's the stages of hopelessness. So if these are the stages, which are not the best, the question then becomes, how do I avoid hopelessness? Eh, better. I don't think we can, we can avoid these stages. What I think we can do is make some choices in the midst of these stages that help us reconcile them and work through them appropriately. Can we do that? All right, so this is where I need your help with me. So I'm going to look at three decisions that we have to make when we find ourselves in these stages so that we don't end up in a hopeless position. Work with you. Are you working with me tonight? All right, every shot number one. First one is this, is we have to choose to rest in the midst of delay. We have to choose to rest in the midst of delay. Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 3, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest. In other words, there's a promise that God gave through his son, Jesus. Jesus came, was born of a virgin. He grew up. He went through his ministry. He died, was buried. He rose again and ascended into heaven. And now we stand in this space called delay. And he knew that in the midst of delay, waiting for the promise, we would get frustrated. But he said, there is a way that you can sit in the meantime and you can rest in the meantime because I am faithful in the midst of your meantime. So we got to rest in the midst of delay. Delay does not have to be bad, and it certainly does not mean denial. And one of the greatest reasons that we are frustrated with delay, especially as faith people, is because many times the delay is the intentional process of God for our lives. <laughs> and we don't like that. Why? Here's the truth. Can I challenge us tonight? Because our predicated assumption of God's goodness is based upon our preference. And so when he uses delay, we no longer think he's good. But what if his goodness is seen in the fact that he's using delay to prolong something that he's trying to do in us because what you're in waiting for is bigger than what you can handle now. And if he were to give it to you now, the promise would destroy you. Let me illustrate it this way. Remember when we first planted the church. The well opened its doors, February 10th, 2013. Bunch of snow on the ground. People came straggling in. Some of you in this room tonight were there at the first service. And I would be lying to you if there wasn't this moment where I sat in the back and I watched very few people come in. It was awesome, but I was like, is this it? Because <laughs> how many of you, those of you who are builders in the room, you know what I'm talking about. There's this insatiable desire to build and, and to see it. And I was like, God, are you serious? This? Am I stuck with Seth forever? Yes. <laughs> and all these, pe these people were here. And why was I frustrated? Because what I believed was in me. Oh, come on, somebody. What I believed was in me was greater than what was in front of me in that moment. Have you ever been there before? And so now I'm frustrated because what I thought my expectations were did not meet my current reality. A little while ago, I realized something one weekend when I sat out and I 
got done with this last service and I realized what was happening here at the well. I went to the launch party for our downtown location that's coming soon to a neighborhood near you. (laughs) And I sat back and I realized, my God, you've done so much. And then all of a sudden I had a flashback to sitting in that auditorium with very few people there. And it was as God said to me, buddy, if I would have given you what this is now, then it would have destroyed you. I needed to delay some things so you could grow and strengthen in some things so that you could be the leader I need you to be now. For this time, this moment, this section of my promise. And for some of you tonight, you're in that place where you're delayed. You know that there's more in you than what's currently in front of you. You're feeling the tension of that reality. You're feeling the tension of that ministry. You're feeling the tension of that business. You understand that God's calling me to so much more, but you're in this delay. And for some of us, we've got to just step back and learn to rest in the delay. My wife's so proud of me. And like this gets me, she tells me, when she tells me like she's proud of me, I'm like a little kid. I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Right? She's like, I'm so proud that you've learned to rest in these things. I'm like, yeah, I've learned to do it, huh? <laughs> and that's a real thing. You can ask her about that. I had to grow in it. And some of us tonight need to understand something. You're in the midst of delay. But it's not denial. It doesn't mean that it's not coming. It just means that God's using delay to strengthen some stuff in you. So that what he's about to give you doesn't destroy you. God is more concerned about our character than our competence. God is more concerned about what he's doing in us. Hear this tonight, please. He is more concerned about what he's doing in us than what we want him to do through us. So we've got to learn to rest in the midst of delay. Because if we're not careful, we'll go too fast. See, God doesn't work quick. He works purposefully. And how many of you know that fast and purposeful usually don't go together? Right? Slow down. What do we tell our kids? Those are, like, I'm just using a lot of kid analogies tonight. When I work with our kids with homework, right, when they're sitting down, don't go fast. My, my boy all the time, he's trying to like, just whiz through it. We're like, slow down. Slow down. This is not about fast. This is about getting it done what? Right. And many times you've got to slow down in order to get it right. That's what God's working in us. Number two, every shot. Number two. Second thing is this, is I have to choose to reframe disappointment. Are you getting something out of this tonight? We've got to choose to reframe disappointment. In other words, we've got to put a different framework around our disappointment. Instead of looking at things and, and becoming so dejected, like that kid on the playground that day, We've got to reframe our, our ideologies and our theologies and our doctrine, and we've got to start to understand some things about who God is and what he's doing in us. We've got to make sure that we start looking at things a little bit differently so we don't just walk around disappointed. Why? Because our destinies cannot handle the weight of our disappointments. And for many of us, we don't step into the destiny that God has for us because we are chained and shackled by the disappointments of the past. And so we see this destiny in front of us. We see this thing, but for some reason, we can't. Have you ever been there before? I can't let go. Like, I see the destiny, but, oh, I just want to sit and harbor on my disappointments. We try to correct the disappointments. 
We try to make people pay for the disappointments. We try to work and make the disappointments prettier. Can, can you just all agree with me tonight that we can't make the past prettier, <laughs> but we can step into the destiny that God has for us. And so we've got to choose to reframe disappointment. David was good at, at reframing disappointment. He would look at the army surrounding him, the people that were imposing their will upon him, and he would say, oh, man, I'm going to die. These people are going to kill me. He would voice it. But then in the same sentence, he would stop and he would go, hey, but I know that God is good. I know that even though I am surrounded, I may be surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. We sing that song around here. I don't know the tune right now, so I'm not going to sing it. But those are the words. And sometimes we need to reframe. It looks like I'm surrounded by disappointment. It looks like I'm surrounded by rejection. It looks like I'm surrounded by dysfunction. It looks like that I'm surrounded by situations and circumstances that I control, that I can't control. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm going to reframe it. My things that I think are surrounding me are surrounded by a good God. They're surrounded by a big God. So I may look like I'm surrounded, but those things are surrounded by something bigger, greater, faster, stronger. So I may look like I'm surrounded, but boy, I'm surrounded by you. Reframe. Yeah, we got to reframe the disappointment. We got to change the way we look at things so that we can step into our destiny. And the third one is this. Come on, shot number three. We have to choose to reject division. Okay, now those of you who have been waiting, you're like, we're in this hope series. We're in this Christmas time. When's he going to read something from the Christmas story? Here you go. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I'm reading from the ESV version right now. And it says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man... And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. How many of you would agree with me that that is a bad way to start out a marriage? Think about that conversation. Okay, I, I want to I I ruin everybody's perspective of the Christmas nativity. Is that okay? Can I do that for you tonight? <laughs> I know, everybody. Sorry, you're like, you're so mean. So my mom had this ceramic nativity set. She'd pull it out every Christmas and it had like white twinkling lights around it and all this pretty, like she called it angel hair. It was white. I think it was made out of glass and it actually like would cut your fingers if you touched it, but all the same, it was awesome. And so she would wrap it all up and make it all nice and it would sit in the window for everybody to see. And as a kid, I loved the nativity set. It was the most beautiful nativity set. And then I went to Bible college and Bible college ruined my idea of the nativity set because I started to study some things out. So let's get down to like just brass tacks about this. Mary and Joseph would have been teenagers, presumably under the age of 16, is what many theologians and scholars would know. So here's how 16 and under year olds coming to be married are now having a conversation that goes like this, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Uh, we haven't, you know, yeah, I know. It's from the Holy Spirit. Um, I went to school. 
I learned some things, <laughs> and that does not make sense to me. We know that it doesn't make sense to him because the Bible just told us that Joseph was contemplating divorce, not, not going through with the marriage. So let's, make, let's not make these guys out to be more holier than they are. We gotta, we gotta study them, we gotta look at these things because this is a very, very important reality that we're getting ready to get into here. Because we, we, we sanitize and anesthetize this storyline. The power in this storyline, the power of the Christmas story is what these two young kids chose to do. So to make matters worse, Joseph goes to sleep. God sends an angel to speak to him. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the Virgin Mary shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And then the Bible throws this tidbit of information in. It says, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. And I always ask myself, why would they, why would they commentate on this? Why would they put this there? Because they wanted you to see, me and you to see, the full spectrum of what this reality that Joseph and Mary were facing. So Mary comes to Joseph, I'm pregnant. With a son from the Holy Spirit. which in and of itself creates all kinds of social awkwardness, social disdain. Mary's now rejected. She's seen as unclean. She's pushed to the corridors of life. She's not accepted in social circles. Their family's going to reject him. Now Joseph has to take on this rejection when in that day and in that time to be a man, to have a family that started out like this was the worst possible situation because it was about your lineage and it was about your legacy and what you were producing. And now his firstborn son would have no blood lineage to him and then to make matters worse they didn't consummate their marriage until Jesus was born as a young couple that's not like fun <laughs> it's okay you can laugh it's, it's true like just be there <laughs> why is this important because the Bible wants to communicate a very strong truth for us. In the midst of this entire situation, Mary and Joseph rejected division and chose submission. In everything that was going on, with every excuse, in every opportunity to fold the cards, be I'm done, God, I can't, I can't do this. I don't care if you sent an angel. I don't care if it's the son of God. I don't care who, I can't, I can't do this. No, no, Mary and Joseph chose a different path and where everything inside of them would lead them to division when every human faculty of who they are and who they were would lead them to division. They chose submission. They chose to say, God, your plans are greater than my plans. Your purpose is greater than my purpose. And while I want to divide it, I will make sure that I walk this line because the Son of God is going to come through this situation and He's going to redeem and He's going to bring hope and He's going to bring joy and He's going to bring peace. What happened? If Mary said no,
we wouldn't be talking about the Christmas story. We'd be reading about two young kids. One of them deemed crazy. We wouldn't have the storyline. I didn't say this in any other service, but I feel like I need to say this to some of us tonight. God's mission. We like to say things like God will always, he will accomplish his mission. He will do what he's gonna do. God accomplishes his mission through submission. At the end of the day, he is asking you and I to submit. That's how his mission is accomplished. That's what submission means. Submission, subjection to the mission. Meaning I will place myself underneath the mission in the vision instead of trying to go a different direction with it. What is God speaking to you tonight? And I hope in these moments that we've had together, we can be the type of people that experience hope, not hopelessness. Because while we may have these stages in our journey, we can make decisions. We can make decisions to rest in our delay, right? We can make decisions to reframe disappointment and we can make decisions to reject division by being people of submission. In Jesus' name. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me tonight?